I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. I can't even, I don't even know what to say about this episode. My guest for today is Nora Wynn. And for those of you who know Nora, you are jumping out of your seat right now. And for those of you who don't, you are about to hear an incredible soul, an incredible spirit, and an incredible human being talk. And I am just honored to have had my friend and colleague on the show. So let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I don't know. I don't know if I want to laugh or cry because my very dear soul sister and colleague is sitting across from me. I'd like to introduce all of you to Nora Wynn. Nora, welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen, with an I, Lewis. I'm so happy to be here. Nora, Nora Wynn. So, Nora, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself so they can just try to get a glimpse of what I know and and why I love you so much? I'm not a tall person. I (laughs) am... I mean, every counter, no matter how short, is too tall for me. Uh, But I don't think that's what you meant. I, (laughs) hi everybody, my name's Nora and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in practice actually since a long time ago. (laughs) I was first licensed in 2004, but as everybody knows who is a therapist, you have to get a lot of hours before you can be licensed. So I started working with people with eating disorders in 2001 and have done that for all of my career uh, in the residential setting. And now just recently have started my own private Can you tell everybody what the practice is called and why? Yes, it is called New Private Practice. (laughs) And you can think that's not original until you realize my name is Nora Ellen Wynn. And so it stands for me, New Private Practice. There it is. There it is. So I'm imagining that some listeners right now are just 
like out of their mind because you have been doing this for a long time. You have touched many, many souls. And all kidding aside, Nora, you have touched my soul for, I think I've known you for about 15 years. And you have touched my soul in ways I can't articulate. And you have also been a great teacher to me or for me. Um, you and I have worked together for many years at Montanito and sitting with you while you ran groups or in staff meetings has incredibly, has, has been a profound experience for me because of your clinical skills and who you are. And I just wanted to say that before we went deeper into the interview. Karen, I appreciate your words and I feel the same about you. The respect is, is bigger than the ocean that I have for you. So I, I really feel honored to be sitting with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Nora. So, Nora, I guess where I would like to get started is let's just start with what got you in the field. You are a very like I said, an incredible therapist. You're intuitive. You have lived experience. So you utilize that. Like what, what got you into the field and was it because you had your own eating disorder? Let's just start there. I have a different story, I think, than most people who have suffered with an eating disorder in their life and then got a passion from that and wanted to go help people. That was one of the darkest periods of my life when I was struggling. So I didn't at all think back then that this is where it would lead me. In fact, I was referred to uh, people related to the field because I was a massage therapist at the time. And they said, oh, the massage therapist backed out, go help them and offer your services. And so I did. And that's when I met Carolyn and she said, yes, Jeff Redont will interview you. And it was in that interview, he said, how long have you wanted to work with women who have eating disorders? And I went, oh no, I, I don't. I don't, I didn't know that's what you did. I'm so sorry. This is, I wanna work with children or the elderly, but you know, I didn't, yeah. Uh, thank you. And he talked me in to giving them eight hours. And then he'd let me know if they didn't like me. So I, I argued in that interview to leave and he made me stay. So the curve in my life and actually Gwen Grab and Holly Renee Miller were the ones that referred me to do the massage. So you know, full circle, they're dear friends of mine after all these years of working. And yes, I have had and do still have quite a career, but I didn't think that's what I wanted to do because mine was so hard for me. You know, it's so powerful when, at, when as you and I have known each other over the years, um, I sometimes I forget how dark my time was with my eating disorder. And I look at people in my life that I know and love and care about, and it almost takes my breath away, Nora, to hear you say that it was the darkest time of your life because it it is such, I, 
I know you as a recovered person, which by the way, means I know all parts of you, not just the, not just the happy laughing, you know, little things like that, but like the real parts of you. I'm wondering what you think massage does for people with eating disorders, because it was, I, I had never worked at a place where they had massage with clients and it was unbelievable what touch was for, for people that are struggling. So what are your thoughts about that? My thoughts are that we are a whole being in our bodies and our minds, even though connected by flesh, can become easily disconnected. And when you're really deep in any kind of behavior uh, with an eating disorder, you lose that connection with like your toes and your, your feet. Your brain is so consumed a lot of times with anxieties and fears and what you are supposed to eat and not. And if you've done your exercise and not that, the fact that you have a physical form gets lost. So where I see touch come in is that someone from the outside with very caring intention and love touches the form that has been forgotten by the mind and the mind can remember, oh, I have feet and oh, those are my legs. And even if bad body image is a struggle, the power of the energy through the body can temporarily at least calm those negative thoughts and reintroduce the grace of just being and having a body. How have you helped clients or work with the ones that say the ones that makes people makes it sound like they're not even people? I apologize. How do you work with people when they are so resistant because of body image distress? Because I, I myself want to meet a client where they're at. I don't want to force them into anything, obviously, by any means. And I also know that this is they're stuck, that they're judging themselves, they're crit criticizing, and that we all deserve touch, healing touch. So is there anything you can say about that? Or is it just something that you let people, when they're ready, they will do it? I think that's such a big question. And I think it is different with every single person that we see. However, I think there is something universal about we pay more attention to what bothers us than what doesn't. Everyone does that. And to give somebody permission to talk about what isn't bothering them is usually how I begin with someone who is completely negative about their physical form um, because sometimes it's just I notice that you have beautiful fingernail polish and I talk to me about that and then they'll say I got this lady and she's so wonderful and I've been going for years and she picks my favorite colors and I'm just like 
keep that lady because your fingernails are so beautiful. And realizing that the brain isn't negatively anchored to tear those nails down. So it is possible. So it is a possibility that that ability to love the part of the body can be extended. And I pay attention to that. I, as, as the person who they're with, really kind of pull that push to the side and I go, your nails. Together we appreciate a part. And that's all. That's how it begins. It begins with one dot of appreciation. I have often said to clients, when they say they can't do something, I can't, I, I can't nurture myself, whatever it is. I say, Let, let's find another place in your life where you do it. Because I've seen it. I know it. I've seen it. Right there. So you have the ability to. There's a block. What's happening? By the way, none of you can see this, but Nora Wynn is just pointing at me, pointing at me, making circles, doing what, what, what is the point? What's happening? Yes. I'm yesing you, yeah. but yeah. I'm not supposed to because we're being recorded. Oh my God. I love you so much. It's ridiculous. I hope it's okay. I just hope the whole world's okay with me telling you that. Um, so yes. And that is also why we say it, if you have the tiniest, tiniest bit of hope or flicker, whatever it is, there it is. We're going to nurture that, nurture it, keep growing that. And that's where healing comes from. I think people are, are assuming like I have to hit rock bottom or I have to have this, this huge epiphany. And I say, no, that's kind of like in the movies. <laughs> Really, we just need to find one place to start that we can start expanding your healthy self. And I don't know if you have thoughts with that. I don't know if you experienced that in your own recovery process. I think before I got to where you're talking about, I had to begin telling the truth. My recovery began when I told people, I lied to you about not running in the middle of the night last night. I, it was me running. I can't stop running. And I did throw all of the sandwich away, even though I wrote in my food journal that I ate that sandwich. I didn't eat it. I threw it away. And also, I'm going to run today. I told you I wasn't. I'm planning it. My recovery began then when I started to tell the truth. I started to tell on myself. So I guess you could say that was what people could work with in me was the fact that that was the spark. I, I was completely lying before. And now I'm willing to tell you that I'm lying, even though I'm also telling you I can't stop. and my life started to change then. I used to say to clients all the time, if you come and knock on the door, 
when you and I were working at residential. If you come and knock on the door and say, I just engaged in a behavior, I just purged, I just threw my food away, I whatever it is, that is a huge sign of recovery. It's not the behavior. It's what you do after. And for someone to come up and have the courage to say, I want to let you know I just did this, that is the antithesis of an eating disorder. Because like you said, it is all about lying, secrecy, isolation, keeping everything in. And I've said this a thousand times on the show. I am not a liar. I lied through my teeth during my eating disorder because my values got shifted and the eating disorder became a higher priority than truth telling. And so when someone says the truth, I, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm, I'm honored. I feel really honored that people will share that with me, that they let me in like that. And that's what you're saying started, started your process, you telling the truth. And finding a you, me, finding a person who I knew cared for me, who I felt like I mattered, that she wanted me alive, and that she, I'm going to use the word loved me, I could feel her love. So your people who come to you when they are able to tell you the truth, they believe, they believe in you. And that connection is, it was imperative for me. I couldn't have, I don't think I would even be here, frankly, still breathing on planet earth, had it not been for this therapist for me, who I remember the day that I'm sitting in her office and she wasn't even saying the right thing, Karen. She wasn't even, um, she wasn't saying the right thing, but I could feel her care. And I remember thinking, I'm going to let you help me. And my life, I could feel that I was starting to live because she mattered more than the things that I had to do, the running, the not eating. And there it is. I don't care how small of a differential of how much something has more priority, but you found a relationship, even if it was tiny, tiny, tiny bit more important than the eating disorder. And not always because the eating disorder still crept in, but that is it, finding something that has higher importance. And for you, it was feeling seen and trusting someone and feeling supported and safe. And this is why we say the relationship between clinician and client is imperative to be a safe, solid, connected relationship because that is where it begins. This is something that might sound you know, unorthodox, I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, for for me to be talking about as an eating disorder therapist. But 
I believe that the relationship is so important. I also believe that a clinician has to be aware when a, when a client doesn't fit, when it's not a good fit. And so I recently got a new client and it was not a good fit. I felt it. She felt it. We both felt it. It was, you know, those sessions that are really long and, and they just, you know, they, it just wasn't clicking. And I talked to her parents and they said, but she needs an eating disorder therapist. She got along so well with her other therapist, but she needs an eating disorder therapist. And I said, I'm going to tell you something that I feel is different. She needs to go back to that therapist where there's a connection, there's relationship, there's safety, because underneath the disorder are all the other things that she needs to talk about. And if she feels connected to that clinician, right there, you're already ahead of the game. I don't know if you agree with that, what your thoughts are. I think it's everything what you're saying. I think it's everything. And I think it's a compliment when two individuals, two human beings on planet Earth can agree, you and I aren't the best in this way together. Uh, I, I'm not resonating at my highest vibration. And sometimes that can grow, Karen. I'm not saying that, because sometimes a connection like that takes time. But what you're talking about is when you realize somebody does already have that connection somewhere, to encourage them toward that, because ultimately it is that. We know, I mean, we know from our own experiences and from the years and from our own uh, lives that that is everything, that connection. I think so. I remember so many times people would be going, uh, uh, like when they saw me in the residential care, like, I bet I don't like you and you're someone important here. And I, I'm just like, oh, don't worry. There are so many others that will you will love. And you don't, I can be the background. I can be the wind. I don't have to be right up close. Please get connected to who you're drawn to, you know? It doesn't have to be me. That's a compliment. I I always want to empower people to speak their truth. And if the truth is, is that this is not a good fit, then it is imperative that that, is, that narrative is told because again, it is not an insult. I don't take it as an insult and I don't want the client to. There are so many different energies and emotion and personality traits on this earth. It is impossible that everybody is going to connect. And just because somebody found me on psychology today doesn't mean they automatically are going to connect with me. And I want, I always want to empower anybody out there who's listening that's in a, in a relationship with a clinician. I also want to say, explore it. Don't just make an assumption that, that it's not good. Explore what's going on in the relationship that you're not connecting. The client that I was just discussing, we talked about it. What's happening with us? Why are we not connecting? Why is it so hard for us to get underneath anything? And then it was a respectful decision that this was not a good fit. So I don't mean to say walk into your therapist's office tomorrow and be like, I'm out of here. That's also another 
part of the healing is learning how to have uncomfortable conversations and who better to have it with than a therapist. That's, I, in my eating disorder, I avoided anything uncomfortable to the risk of my own health and safety. It is incredible. I, I'm very proud when a client comes in and says, I'm not, I'm not feeling connected to you. That takes courage, right? Because otherwise, you could, they could just sit in my office, be the quote-unquote perfect patient, do what they're supposed to do, and then they leave and they use their behaviors to self-soothe because they're not getting their needs met. It's all about relationship, Nora. Wonderfully said. Tell me a little bit, you know, I, you know, and this is a provocative question and I ask people this quite frequently on the show. I mean, you've, you have been in the field for 20 years and is it triggering for you ever to be sitting with clients and running groups and do, and I, and I know that you're now in private practice, but have there been times when you've been triggered doing the work? No, and I love the question because it leads to me to talk about what does recovered mean to me? Recovered with a D, D, recovered. Recovered to me, and this is why my answer is no. No listening to countless people say their behaviors or their struggles or their body image no, it has not triggered me because I am recovered and my intimate needs are satisfied deeply by my connections with others like you, my connections with animals, my connections with the spirit world, my connections with nature. So much they are satisfied that any behavior that I used to do has nothing to offer me but disconnection, a numbing, a distancing from that intimacy I have grown to need. So I thankfully have felt like an anchor, uh, literally an anchor to the Titanic or even bigger than that. For those who haven't realized the satisfaction of that intimacy and haven't grown a healthy self enough to get their needs met internally and externally. So they could talk about anything around me and everything like that. And I was never, yeah, I wish I could run too, you know, throwing up does seem good. You know, I never, it, no, it was never like that. I was like, oh, poor baby, angel. You, I know that you still think you need that because you're not getting something. Because when you're getting it, for real, there'll be no competition. I remember when I was running a group once and, a, you, you know, our, our famous primary groups, and a client asked me that question. She said, do we ever trigger you? Do you ever get triggered? being in this residential program all the time. And I said, I will never again confuse the fact that an eating disorder behavior is going to help me through anything. So no, 
I will, I, I do not get triggered because I know that I can't use a behavior to help anything. And now I've learned to be in the world, in my anxiety, in my fear, in my happiness, in my love, in all of it. And so, and I can sit in it. I understand now that I can sit in an uncomfortable feeling and in discomfort and it will not last forever, that it will eventually, I will move through it. And so that to me is recovered. Like it, there is not a behavior on this earth, nor a win that is going to actually help in any way. 100%. I agree. 100%. There is just no desire. There's no reason. There's no purpose for a behavior. I, I just got stuck on the word purpose. I like that word. There's no purpose. We think it, we, I thought it did. I thought it had tremendous purpose when I was in my eating disorder. And it, it does not at all. No. And I, I think what you explain is a healthy self, compassionate and powerful, your connected, congruent self to your highest morals, taking good care of the pissed off parts, the dissatisfied parts, the upset and sad parts, the anxious parts, the fearful parts that you did well describe that in life, yes, you are going to feel anxious, angry, upset, disconnected, abandoned, all the words that are not, we hope we don't feel, but your healthy self loves you. Little Karen with the Nile Lewis. I love you so much. This is a hard time. I love you. You don't have harsh judgment that comes in that you have to protect yourself from anymore. So there's no purpose for any destructive behaviors because you're good to yourself. You're your own best friend. I agree with that. I also know that whatever I'm feeling, whether it's real or perceived, is telling me something. It's a signal. And if I ignore that signal by using a behavior, then I could put myself in a, in a harmful situation. I could, you know, whatever it is, all of these emotions are really, really important signals that something has to be done. Even if that something is resting and closing your eyes and crying, like whatever it is. And I used to, Nora, I used to be terrified. I didn't think I could manage my feelings. I, I always thought I was too much. And so I thought my emotions were too much. Guess what? I have a lot of emotions and they're really big and I love them and I can handle them. And if others can't, then I'm sorry. This is who I am. It is who you are. You're a passionate, perfect, beautiful being. And I share that. I am a dragon and a Scorpio. I am a fire-breathing poofball of energy, and I am a lot. People say that. People meet me, Karen, and they say, you're a lot. I am so much. I am so much. And I'm, God, thank God I was put in a 
shorter little body, you know, because if I was seven foot tall, people would run. People would, they'd just run. I'd, I'd have no one. But I'm with you. I have learned to allow my big feelings, allow them, breathe, cry, scream into a pillow if I need to, um, and not have to disconnect from my beautiful, powerful self. And yeah, I'm not for everybody. (laughs) And neither am I. And I think that was also a part of my recovery process is understanding that it's okay because the reality is, is I meet people and they're not for me either. That's just, again, being on this earth. This is, this is why going back to that client, when I said to the father, if she has a connection with her therapist, that's where she needs to be. Because by me saying to you, Nora, I feel like my energy is too big. I feel like, like if somebody doesn't like me, that it's, it's a, it's a mark on me that, that doesn't need to be in a specific eating disorder therapist. That needs to be somebody who is caring and nurturing and can hear what I'm saying and help me and guide me through it. That's right. That is correct. And there is someone for everyone. I, I believe that. I mean, I'm thinking, can, can every single person who gets an eating disorder recover all the way from their eating disorder, no matter what? And I've been in it too long. And so have you to not be, not have honor and respect for those who have died from their eating disorder, even though they've tried for years to get better. And even though there have been their families and many people who have loved them. And I do not pretend to know the mysteries of when a person before they come on planet earth and what the plan is for them and what fate says about this. But I do know that There is a powerful will inside every human. And when a human being decides, I'm going to get better. And right now, I don't have that person who I can tell everything to in my life. And that will be my first goal, to find that person. That that's the beginning. That that is the possibility. you and I both know miracles. You've had them on your show. Miracles. They've been supposed to die over and over, over and over. They're not going to make it. And they are recovered today. They have fulfilling, fulfilled lives where they are using their own life to help others who are trying to get out from under their eating disorder and they are miraculous. And so my mind chooses to think of them when I answer, can everyone be recovered? Listen, I can say everyone can make sure that if they never stop trying, if they never quit, that they'll fulfill their purpose, whether or not they die. Because 20% of all who get an eating disorder will die from it. That's just a fact. So I don't, 
I want to be sensitive to those families who still live beyond their offspring who have died, their loved ones who have died. I want to remember them because you know what? Some of those people are marching on, helping hundreds of thousands of others and helping other parents and helping other siblings. So how do I know that wasn't the purpose of this? I don't, but what I can say is I believe in the miracles of the people who have recovered, who I think should have died. And I'm for life. So if you ask me, you know what I mean? I want to be encouraging to those who might be listening who have been in and out of treatment for 20 some odd years. And they're like, should I quit? No, you shouldn't. And if, if, if even after 20 years, you don't have the one, one person yet who you know cares for you who you know wants you to live who you know like Karen and I have found in each other and we've offered it to others and we've had it ourselves if you don't know that person never give up find that person for yourself I also think that you you and I have seen we have seen death from all of our years of doing this, we have seen the ones that are deemed, and I am putting in air quotes, chronic, as if they are not worthy of any more treatment or love or anything. I don't care how sick somebody is. And this is my personal opinion. So I want to be very, very clear. I am not giving a, an, a factual statement. I don't think anybody ever wants to die from their eating disorder. I think that they are continuously working even harder to achieve whatever it is they're searching for. So if they're searching for um, safety, they don't want to die from their eating disorder. They're trying even harder to be safe. I want to help them find that safety in another way. If they're looking, to feel like they have confidence because they don't feel confident in this world unless for whatever. Okay, fantastic. We're going to work on that. Anything that you think the eating disorder is providing for you, I want you to have that. You're just going about it in a dead end way. And so that's what happens. That's what happens when we lose hope for, again, the quote unquote chronic. We're saying we're giving up on the fact that you haven't been able to find what you're using. to. It's, it's actually survival. You're searching. It's, it is really unbelievable how far people will go for internal perceived safety, acceptance, you know, peace, whatever it is. So no, it's not that somebody wants to die. It's that, and, and, and I also want to say those are the clients that get labeled that they're the difficult clients and, oh, they're coming back again and all this stuff. And by the way, Nora, you and I have, have been jaded. We, we've all, we're human beings. What I have finally learned though is, by the way, it's really not always the client. Sometimes it's the treatment. So you and I, when we, when we used to run Montanito facilities, 
we used to have a lot of repeat clients. And finally, I think Carolyn said once, why do they keep coming back? There's obviously, it's not that they can't do it. Again, this goes back to not being the right fit. This is not the right fit. We need to do something outside of the box. We need to do something alternative. This traditional treatment is not working and we keep blaming the client. And that's that's horrible. I agree. I agree with you just 100%. I was just giving you a full thumbs up with my whole soul. And I believe in what is emerging today. I believe in coaching. I believe in the new, the new things where people are finding companionship and live in help and families, not just, not just individuals suffering with eating disorders, but whole families are finding relief from people who are willing to come and be and live with them and help, help in real time in their home. Uh, I just believe that's just one, one example, but there's so many new things happening, more than just all the levels of care that you and I are, have worked in. Um, I think that there are other things and every day there's gonna be more and more new things. So I, if, if it doesn't fit for you, it doesn't have to. There's, new, there's other things for you. Yeah. I also wanna say, and, and I think this comes with experience. Um, I think when, when you're working with young clinicians, by the way, everybody's at the right level that they're supposed to be at. A young clinician doesn't know what they don't know. They don't they don't have some of the experience to be a little bit more again thinking outside of the box and stuff like that. I think the more we do this, the more we're recognizing just similar to what you're saying. We're recognizing that this is not a one size fits all, no pun intended. We're talking about eating disorders and one size fits all, but one size fits all treatment either. And I will, it is important to meet the client where they're at. It's also important to have your own boundaries. Like I have firm boundaries with certain clients, but I will give them leeway because I know certain quote unquote, traditional steps are not going to work for this client. So why do I keep trying to shove that, shove it into them when, when it's not going to work? I think we also, and, and again, I'm speaking for myself. I think that's one of the gifts you get working at residential because you see all different eating disorders, all different stages of recovery. All, like it just, it is, we've, we've experienced quite a bit, right? Yes. We're, we're very lucky to have had so many teachers because I know you're like me, all the people that have ever come seeking your help and in residential care and all the levels and even in your private practice, there are teachers and they're some of the most brilliant, artistic, sensitive, creative, beautiful beings that exist on planet earth. You and I are two of the most lucky people because we have the grace to have had such wonder before us and been taught every single person that have ever crossed my path has been my teacher and I've needed the lessons 
So if you are somebody that has crossed my path, I and you happen to be listening to this, I just want to thank you for what you taught me. And I believe in your life. I learn all the time from my clients. All the time. No session or day is ever the same for me, which is one of the reasons why I love what we do. And that's another thing. I want clients to know we are two souls sitting in a room. It is not this power imbalance of therapist knows all, client just sits there waiting to be told what to do. We are all very, very intuitive and insightful in our own lives. It just gets really shut off from the eating disorder. You get farther and farther and farther away from it. I, I'm, I'm amazed at what I've learned from my clients. I'm amazed at what I've learned from my, the families of, of my clients. That is one thing I will say I miss terribly is multifamily group because running groups with families, and I know that was just a hard term, but it just came to my, it just sort of like, I was like, oh, multifamily group. Do you miss running multifamily group, Norwin? There's nothing as powerful because there's so much passion there. I always thought of family group as the the jet fuel because it's so much love comes into the room. And so the 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 reality is that change happens so quickly when those people tell the truth to each other. There's nothing like it. One of my favorite parts of that on on that same same thread is a clinician nope, nope, let me say it differently. A parent or a loved one or a roommate, whatever, however your family is designed, can say something to their loved one who's struggling and the person struggling can be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then in, but in multifamily group, another family member from a different family system will say the exact same thing. And they're like, oh, oh, right. I hear it. And I'm like, yes, I love multifamily group. It is phenomenal. And there are times when we can't hear it from our own loved ones, but if someone else says it or if someone else calls us out. I used to love when we ran family group and and there were there were repeat parents so that relationships were created because families feel so alone in this and so isolated and as if it's it could be their fault or whatnot. And then you get, we see these relationships form and all of a sudden, uh, like a father will call another client out and be like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I, that is not what you said last week in multifamily group. It it is it is like it is it is poetry to me. And again, families feel alone and isolated. And when they would come into multifamily group, it was a culture that they knew, not one that they not a group they wanted to be part of because that meant someone in their life was suffering. But it was a community where everybody did speak a similar not the same, but similar language. And that in and of itself is healing, which is why I always say to supports, you need to find your own help. You need to find support groups because this can feel really alone and really hard. Said I, I have a passion for parents because of what mine did for me. And 
I love the families. I love the people who love the people. That's right. That's beautifully said. As much as I hate to say this, we are starting to run out of time. Um, I apologize to everybody if this just felt like a reunion between Nora and I, because I'm sort of listening to what we're talking about. I'm like, Nora, remember this and remember that. And so I hope everybody could get some some kernels out of this episode, because I know I did just sitting with you, Nora. I just I, I feel brighter, wiser, better. I love listening to you talk and I could forever. I was just wondering to myself, how could we get more of this, you and I? Well, we're going to have to start it. Just like you said, all we have to do is get on FaceTime. By the way, people, all you have to do is connect. Just connect with people. Doing it on your own or doing it with behavior, you get nothing. Nora, you and I have such a connection that, you know, that's what being recovered is, the connection you get with others. I hate to say this, but we are going to have to end. Before I ask you your final question, is there anything that I did not ask that you would like to share? I think you covered everything. I mean, especially our connection and what power it has. Because it, it's, it's addicting and I want more. And that's, that's what makes a rich life this. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being you and being here on this show. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? All right, Nora Wynn, I do have to ask your final question. And that is, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say? She's a win of a kind. <laughs> she makes me laugh until I had to use this facility. Oh my God, Nora Wynn. I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. <laughs> that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.